thank you for your welcome. It's very kind of you and very warm of you. And we're in a series normally, but we are not at the present time. So we start a new series up at the end of July. So I was asking the Lord about this day. What do I, um, what should I speak on? So a couple of weeks ago, I, was woke, I woke up with this phrase. And um, you, you will know the phrase. It's 1 Corinthians 13, and it's verse 14. And it's, uh, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you always. I was woke up at 3 o'clock in the morning, and, uh, and suddenly I just went ding. You know, that's, that's what happens when I get up, when I wake up that time. Everything just buzzes, couldn't get back to sleep. And I know this line is often used at the end of a service. So please don't take that as time to go. All right, so we're just going to sort of a little bit of unpack this. So I, I want to look at those three aspects that are, are woven into that just one simple line. Grace, love, fellowship of the Holy Spirit. This will be everything for most of you who are used to this sort of know your way around your Bibles, you will probably know this. Well, it's always good to be reminded. So the first thing I want to do is to introduce you to a family. This is a family that you will possibly know, but some of you might not. So I wonder if we could have the picture. There we go. Now, do, the thing is, here's the question. You're going to talk amongst yourselves. Do they come to the King's Church? Are they members here? Um, or were they members a while ago? Which site do they go? Do they go to the town center? Are they up at the Hazemere site? Who are these people? Who are these people? So have you, you whispered amongst yourselves? You, everybody knows? Who, do we know who they are? Who are they? Who are they? They are the Waltons. Now, when they, that picture came up, just raise your hand and say, if you knew that was the Waltons. Oh, look at you. Look at you. Wow. This was a TV series that ran throughout the 1970s. It was set in West Virginia, and the time frame set in West Virginia was the uh, early 1930s through to the mid-1940s. John Walton, dad, is, uh, runs a lumber mill, and their livelihood is helped by small-scale farming, and all the children, of which there are six, they all muck it. Muck it. I think uh, grandparents are there as well in that picture. But the six, they all muck in as a family together. They are good, upstanding family. In a rural community, they go to the Baptist church in their Sunday best. Their signature tune is always at the end of the episode. And for nostalgia's sake, I thought we'd just hear it. There you go. Just a little bit of nostalgia. It's um, interesting to know. I don't you ever thought about this. They all go to bed at the same time. <laughs> Have you ever thought about that? A six-year-old goes, I want to go to bed. Great idea. Let's all go to bed, shall we? That's a great idea. Now, anyway, so, um, 
It's, the, this family is wholesomely portrayed. Uh, uh, it's just a wholesome family. It, I think it's possibly meant to inspire the best in family life. And I just want to say this. If the Walton family model was your vision of the perfect family and therefore has heaped condemnation on you for the family that you've been in or the family that you're part of or whatever, then I want to assure you, you are in good company. And you can all go, that's a relief. That's an absolute relief. The Bible gives us an uncensored view of families in the Bible. You ever noticed it? Uncensored. There's nothing airbrushed, nothing hidden. This isn't God doing, wanting to do his best thing and hide the that. Doesn't do that. So Abraham and Sarah, they're childless. You possibly know the story. They're childless. God has promised them a son. They have decided to give God a hand. And so they go, in, they go down the surrogacy route. Don't think this is a new thing, my friends. It's here. You'll find this in Genesis, my friends. And so they go down the surrogacy route, and that ends in disaster. It ends in disaster. And then their son, eventually they do have a son, his name is Isaac, and um, he marries Rebecca. And Isaac and Rebecca have twins. One's called Esau, the other one's called Jacob. And they play family favorites. So the mother, she, her favorite is Jacob. And the father is... His favorite is Israel. Family favorites. Read the story. Do you know, listen, parents here, by the way, if you want to know about how not to bring up your children, there's some really good pointers here in the Bible. Don't do this. It's a disaster. Family favorites is a disaster. And, um, and, but Jacob does the same. Jacob does favorites in his family and his family favorite is a man called Joseph and uh, that story has been played out in theaters and still is all around the world here's the point now regardless of this God repeatedly introduces himself as I am the God of Abraham the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob I mean, uh, these guys are a case. And he never fails to introduce himself as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He doesn't distance himself. People who've made abysmal choices, catastrophic results, and yet God declares himself as their God. I am. God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Jesus isn't the favorite in his family. Um, in fact, they think he's out of his mind. So he has an interesting family life. This book, my friends, it's the story of messy people living with brokenness and pain. And the theme running through the book is not the messiness and pain. The theme running through the book is the grace of God. The grace of God is relentless. You'll read it again and again and again, life after life after life, the relentless grace of God. Broken people, not perfect people, not perfect families, but wounded lives walking in the relentless grace of God. 
The word grace means undeserved favor. Most of you will know that. But it's undeserved favor. And this is the undeserved favor of God. We need grace, my friends. We need undeserved favor. We need it for ourselves. And we need it for others. So there's this British conference that goes on about comparative religions. Experts debated what belief, if anything, was unique to the Christian faith. They began eliminating possibilities. Well, what about incarnation? No, other religions had different versions of God appearing in human form. Well, what about resurrection? No, that didn't work either. Because other religions had accounts of return from death. And so the debate went on, and into the room walks C.S. Lewis, who's the author of things like The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and the Narnia series. And he just wanders into the room. He goes, what's what's all the noise about? And so they say, "We're, we're discussing what Christianity's unique contribution is amongst world religions. No, that, that's easy. It's grace. It's grace. Now, that's the first part of the line here is, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Now, here, naturally, we are motivated to be gracious to others to an extent. We all have a little bit of limit on that. So we naturally, we are sort of moved to be gracious to other people because we know in ourselves we need that for ourselves. We need that for ourselves. And naturally, we forgive. Again, to some extent, because knowing ourselves, we are in need of forgiveness too. So what we are doing is we are using ourselves and others as comparisons of grace, forgiveness. We're using others as comparisons. The phrase here, though, isn't about our limit of grace. and It's not about our limit. It's the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is not motivated by his own sinful weaknesses or his own limitations or his own ignorance. Jesus is without sin. It's the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the grace we're talking about. He is perfect in all of his ways. He is without sin. He is full of goodness and love. There is no moral compass that can measure how upright and good he is. There is none. In fact, he is the moral compass. He knows everything we have done. And not done. He knows our thoughts and our motives. He knows our indignation, hostility, our stubbornness. You know, even in this room, there'll be some of us who are sitting there and God has spoken to us and we're still digging our heels in. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. And, and, and I'm telling you, there's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance because the avenue is grace all the way through. All the way through. He knows everything. You know, Jesus pictures the um, grace of God. You know, he sums it up in the parable of the prodigal son. And you'll be sitting here and thinking, I know this story. I know this story. Well, just bear with me a minute, please. Because the prodigal son goes off and he leaves his father's house. And he takes his inheritance before his father's died. He, he demands his inheritance And what he's really saying is, I wish you were dead, you're not, so give me the stuff. I want to go off and have my own life. I want to do my stuff. 
He disgraces, humiliates his father, he does his own thing, and then wishes he could come home. And that's his struggle. Now, the son's story is this. He is no longer worthy. That's what he says. I am no longer worthy. I'll go back and I'll ask to be a hired hand. His story is, I am no longer worthy. The father's story is having his arms open wide and he runs towards his son and he kisses him and he puts rings on his finger and a robe around his And it's the whole business of, you're my son. You're my son. Whose story are you living in? The prodigal son story is, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. But father's story is, you're my son. And I ask the question, what's your story? Now the eldest son, he has a story too. The eldest son has a story. The eldest son has the story of, do you know I've been slaving for you all these years. You never gave me anything. You know, you got a fatted calf out for the prodigal son, but for me, nada, nothing. So the eldest story, the eldest son's story is, do you know, I just, all I've done is slave for you. That's, all I've done is duty. All I've done is obedience. I am the best server there is. What's your story? Because the father says to the elder son, you've always been with me. And everything I've had is yours. What's your story? It's important that you get into the father's story because the father's story is full of grace, my friends. And if you live outside of that, then you're in your own story. And it's a wrong story. So get into the father's story. The story is welcome home. You know, when the son is coming, he's not singing it's coming home. He's singing he's coming home. He's coming home. And he sees him from afar off. He's been waiting for this moment. Do you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is mind-blowing. They're all living in a story. What story are you living in? Now, it's really important to us because you don't want to miss the father's story. I don't know where you are. I don't know where you are. But the father's story is the story. It's the story of grace. There's a policeman, he's a detective. He served on a vice squad in a certain city. He's been guilty of shady behavior. His second marriage is about to fold because of his unfaithfulness. And God meets with this man. And in a prayer meeting, subsequent to this, this man is just sobs unrestrainedly. And not so much with sorrow, but with actually with joy. And he's sobbing with wonder. And he, He falls on his knees and he cries out, amazed afresh at the grace of God coming to him. He says, you saved me. You healed me. And then he says, I don't understand it. How could you? Just love that line. How could you? Don't understand it. You know, it's by grace we are saved through faith. And even that's not your own. It's a gift. It's a gift. Grace is God's great ace that can't be trumped. I hope you're living in the grace of God. You need to model it. Families, you need to model the grace of God for your children. Freedom, uh, it's free. Grace is free, but it doesn't mean it's cheap. Cost Jesus everything. 
If God is truly God, then surely we are answerable to him and not to make our comparisons with others. This book here, this Bible, is littered with people who didn't get what they deserved. They got the grace of God. Grace tells us that we are totally acceptable to God. Grace is inappropriate. Grace is unreasonable. And that's why the hymn writers say, it's amazing. Amazing grace. You know, a a revelation of the authentic grace of God gives you the courage to face the painful truths about yourself. Grace means that we can honestly look at our lives and hold up our hands without excuse for the things that we have done knowing that we are acceptable to Jesus Christ. That's amazing grace. Don't ever miss it, my friends. Mom and dads, I tell you, just model this. You've got to model this. I'm not saying you shouldn't have boundaries for your children. I'm not saying you shouldn't have behavioral, behavioral expectations. But if that's the reason for their approval and their acceptance, you've got to go deeper. Because the grace of God goes a lot deeper than that. It's foundational. And your children need to experience it. And this is for all of us. I remember when I first responded to this amazing grace, this wonderful news of grace. I remember standing out in the garden. I was standing outside. And the, the thought, because I, I, I knew me. You know me. But you don't know that. And I'm not telling you that either. This is not good for you. But I'm just telling you, I know, I know that stuff that I've been in. And I know what I've done. And I know what I'm like. And I'm standing in the garden. And I, I find it just amazing that God would so graciously break into my life and flood me with his love and grace. I'm standing there and then the thought comes to me. If he can do this for me, he can do this for anybody. That gives you a fresh approach on other people. It really does. The grace of God. So we need to model it. And it goes beyond our natural limitations. So the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then it moves on the love of God. Andrew Wilson says that describing the love of God is like trying to rugby tackle a snooker table. You can give it your best shot, but ultimately it's far too big to get your arms around it. And any attempt you make will be hopelessly limited. So I don't know, even know why I'm trying to make this attempt. But um, I notice that the hymn writers do this. So they have some amazing words, don't they? So uh, this is uh, William Reese's. Here is love vast as the ocean. Do you know, you can sit on these lines and you can have a long think about them because they are amazing lines. It's vast as the ocean. His loving kindness is the flood. Where the prince of life, our ransom, shed for us his precious blood. Grace and love, like mighty rivers, poured incessant. Incessant, I love that. I just poured incessant from above. And heaven's peace and perfect justice kissed a guilty world in love. Do you know what? This is not from a textbook. This is experienced. This man has experienced the love of God. The love of God is instrumental in a lady called Immaculate Ilbeganza. 
Actually, it isn't even pronounced like that. Immaculate is, but I, you know, I just couldn't get my mouth around how you pronounce her name. But if you put Immaculate in uh, YouTube, you'll find the story. She's, um, she survived the Rwandan genocide in the 1990s. She and seven other women uh, spent 91 days in a bathroom in a pastor's house. The size of the bathroom was three foot by four. You want to measure that out sometime. She, li- she lost nearly half her body weight. Lack of food. Uh, she didn't have a shower for three months. She could hear the terror and the butchering going on outside the house, down the streets. They could all hear it. She heard them calling out for her name and wanted to find out where she was. She was terrified. And so she's, um, and all but one of her family is butchered in this genocide. Many of her waking moments were in prayer. And she knew that some of the words that she was reciting were just hollow. They're just empty. They were just words. In particular, the part of the Lord's Prayer about forgiving those who sin against us. She battled and she battled over this. And then she she then kept saying, God, you're going to have to open up my heart. You have to open up my heart. And some while later, those words, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. They began to resonate in her heart. And she realized her hate was affecting her trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And she remembered Jesus' words on the cross, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And she thought about these people and she thought, evil has so overcome them, they don't know what they're doing. And the peace of God began and the assurance of God began to break into her life. And she started to pray for the killers. When she got out, she fled to a military camp for protection. Her home had been burnt to the ground. And I don't know how long later, but quite when everything's calmed down and sorted and half settled, I don't know what, she goes to visit the man who killed her family. He happened to be her best friend's father, and she goes to visit him. He's in jail. He's a wretched man, an absolute wretched man. And she goes to the jail, and she prays for him. How do you do that? You can only do that in the love of God, my friends. Forgiveness isn't something that's just blown over. It's how you have to absorb it. She goes and and prays for this man. Love is not something he does. It's who he is. He's always been this way. He doesn't love sometimes and not others. He is love. That's what he is. So then, you've got to come to a cow shed, you see, in 4 BC. It's not a fuzzy feeling, love. It's a self-giving commitment. And God sends his son. What heaven is like, this side of it, I have not a clue. But it must be the most wonderful place. Heavenly glory, sinless perfection. Jesus comes to earth, a baby laying aside all his majesty. He becomes an infant who falls over, vomits, soils his nappies. He comes like one of us 
and walks a mile in our shoes, I can tell you. Misunderstood, tempted, experienced bereavement, rejection. Why? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That's the bottom line. It's the bottom line. Now you come with me 10 miles away, north of where he was born, 33 years later, to a rubbish dump. Much has changed to the symbol of the love of God. Has now been grown into a man. But you won't recognize him because his face is so mild. And his face disfigured. And the welts across his back, ripped flesh. He's crucified between two criminals. He's betrayed, abandoned, mocked. You know all of this. But the God who creates water asks for water. I thirst. Astoundingly, the one who gave us free will. Allowing us to make choices experiences the consequences of our choices. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. Only a sinless Savior can do this for us. Only a sinless Savior can stand in our place. Listen, and he chooses to do so. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And then you can put your name in there after that, can't you? I know all about you. and I, I, I am your God. I'll never leave you. And on the cross, Jesus says, it's finished. And it's not a relief cry, by the way. It's a cry of triumph. It's finished. It's finished. This is love. Not that, he, not that we love him, but he loved us. Now, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. This is the love of God, my friends. This grace, love, and then there's the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. You have a fellowship with a person. Amazingly, a number of times Christians come to this part and still, even though they know the Holy Spirit, call him it. It's as though you wouldn't like to be called it. He's not an it. He's a person. He leads, guides. He sets us free. He's a comforter. He's a helper. He's the one who comes alongside. He's so important that Jesus says, you hang on here until you get the gift my Father's promised. Just wait here. And then the Spirit comes. My parents, you need to model this to your children. Now, why do I say that? Because otherwise, you will ask your children to keep, you'll ask them to keep morals. And you'll ask them to obey rules, but without the power of the Holy Spirit. That's not, a, that's not good news. That's not gospel. The power of the Holy Spirit is gospel. It's good news. You've got to live this life with the power of the Holy Spirit. You need the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. That's why Pentecost is such a big deal. And it's not for this person or that person. It's for everyone. And God, whose house had always been made of cloth, i.e. a tent or a stone, has now taken up residence in his people. Hallelujah. That's an amen, my friends. God has upsticked. He's moved. And he's moved in to people just as he said he would. You read the prophets, they all said this day was coming. Let's stay in the day. What a moment when people from every nation and language, born again, united in him. And all this happens through the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Don't miss it. Holy Spirit, the most gloriously effective helper, advocate, counselor, comforter, encourager, and friend the world has ever known.
I know it's the first response to the filling of the Holy Spirit for the disciples. You read this in Acts chapter 2, and they go and declare the wonders of God. What is their first response? Praise. They just, gotta, they just can't help themselves. They just can't help themselves to declare praise, to just do it. There's no shortage of God's power. That's why we did this series, Sustainable Power. Now, don't stop, my friends. Let's revel and saturate in the grace and the love of God and keep being filled with the Holy Spirit. In the last few weeks, I'm aware that at least two people received the gift of tongues during our, during our Sunday meetings. Don't give up meeting together like this. During our Sunday meetings, receiving the gift of tongues. I know, it's a brilliant. It's just God. And those are the ones that we know about. It's a great gift. It's a prayer language. It's, it's the Holy Spirit gives it. You need the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you always. Amen. Thank you.